This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hi, welcome to the Finding Holy podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Hales. I'm author of the book, Finding Holy in the Suburbs, and the forthcoming book called A Spacious Life. Here at the Finding Holy podcast, it is our aim to help you connect the dots to the big things that matter to your everyday holy life. You'll get to hear my guests' laundry routines too, because big things matter, but so does the laundry. Here's a little bit more about my guest today. Hannah Anderson is the author of several books, the most recent of which is Turning of Days, Lessons from Nature, Season, and Spirit. She is an author, speaker, and she works alongside her husband in rural ministry with their three children in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia. Listen in to this conversation with Hannah. We talk spiritual formation, a new way of seeing, and how nature can help us and our churches. All right, friends, I'm excited to introduce to you Hannah Anderson. She is a friend of mine, a writer, a thinker, and she has just recently released a new book called Turning of Days. So I'm really excited to chat about nature and what it has to teach us with Hannah. So thanks for being here. Oh, Ashley, I'm so glad to be with you. It's wonderful. So one thing I just love about Hannah is that she is such a very thoughtful person, especially in social media. So you definitely need to go follow her on Twitter. But what's really fun too about this new book, Turning of Days, is that it's kind of a departure for you, right, Hannah, in some ways about the form of this book between your previous books. So talk a little bit about that and what particularly drew you to writing these kind of natural essays kind of paired with scripture passages and why that might be an important formal shift for you as a writer. It is a departure from my other books in a sense. And so I I see it as a departure. I'm not sure how other readers may engage it. My other books have been much more classic trade books, you know, nonfiction trade books where have a prevailing overarching thesis and every chapter kind of builds to um, prove or explore Mm -hmm. um, that thesis. So, you know, I had a book about humility and it was all about our creatureliness and, you know, limitations and how embrace of limitations can lead to peace. And every chapter kind of explores that from a different angle, but builds. Um, So this book is actually a collection of short essays. It's 28 essays arranged roughly around the four seasons as uh, we experience them here in Southwest Virginia. Mm-hmm. And part of what makes it a departure is the format. So it's not that building this overarching argument. It's yep. more reflections or the subtitle um, calls it lessons from nature, season, and spirit. So each essay is kind of a, a reflective, contemplative um, lesson from some natural phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, another way it's a departure for me is I think it's a little less didactic. So I'm really trying something different with this book rather than leaving readers with a head full of knowledge or lots of things to think about 
necessarily. I'm asking readers to learn a way of engaging the world. Mm -hmm. And so part of the format is designed to be um, kind of habit forming or liturgical so that it's the same process. I want you to see, I want you to observe a natural phenomenon. And then I want you to learn to um, consider it and how to reflect on that. And then how to see the deeper meaning or truth Mm -hmm. in that, that um, might connect to something you might already know theologically or from the scripture. Mm -hmm. So I am asking readers um, some slightly different things than I might've asked them in my previous books. I ask a lot more questions, leave Mm -hmm. a lot more things unanswered, um, which for me is a hard thing. (laughs) (laughs) Always striving to resolution. Um, But all of that was intentional because my hope is really to invite readers, um, not just to this book, but to a way of seeing. Right. Yeah. What came from your own life that prompted the shift from here's where we're going. Here's the argument. What was it about your own life that shifted for you that you wanted to model something different for your readers? So more of a participation than a kind of knowledge acquisition. Well, this is going to maybe sound a little, I don't know, lacking in self-awareness, but (laughs) it's only been in the last few years that I recognized how my experience of the world differs from other people's. Hmm. And and in regard particularly to creation or to nature, Mm -hmm. and that's not to say that people, lots of people share my love for nature and my engagement with creation. But one of the things my husband, Nathan, and I um, have talked about over the last few years and really since the release of Humble Roots Mm -hmm. is that both he and I grew up um, on pieces of land Mm -hmm. in kind of homesteading environments. And that childhood experience was so formative Mm -hmm. that it became part of us in ways we didn't even recognize until we were in our mid 30s, late 30s, when we began meeting people who didn't know what we were talking about or how we were moving through the world. It wasn't a head knowledge. It wasn't a knowledge of, I know these seeds or I know these birds or I know this. It was a more elemental um, Mm. kind of shaping force about how we engaged creation that seemed different to people. Mm. And um, and I don't mean like, okay, we're these unique special snowflakes. I just mean that it was so natural for us that we didn't realize it was significant. Right. It somehow like permeated how you knew things. Right. It was, yes, how I knew and understood things. It was so um, integrated. Mm -hmm. So um, what I began to realize after Humble Roots released, because uh, I'll use a lot of nature imagery in that book, is Mm -hmm. folks were captivated, just captivated by um, the natural illustrations. And I had readers, you know, writing me saying I bought tomato plants for the first time, Mm. or I planted um, an heirloom apple tree, or I did this thing. And there was so much enthusiasm and joy around nature and natural revelation that I thought, well, there's something that we really need to tap here. Mm -hmm. And then as I kind of thought with that, sat with that, explored that, I also began to realize that part of what I love to do um, is see patterns and make connections for people. Yeah. And that's just part of how I navigate the world. And so the idea of creating patterns 
mm-hmm. or drawing connections between something that I loved and was natural to me for the reader. And in essence, try to help invite them into an experience of creation that was perhaps secondhand for me or not secondhand, but, you know, second nature for me. Right. Um, and try to translate that rather than just saying, let me tell you what I see. Right. I wanted to help readers um, see it for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so what would you recommend? You know, someone could pick up your book and go, oh, I love a little nature essay, you know, on toadstools or the, you know, pruning your husband does of the peach tree, you know, um, and go, oh, it's lovely. Um, <laughs> here I live in a high rise apartment in New York City or whatever. How do we, if we have a very different lens of our own particular experiences, what would you recommend to your reader to begin to see that way, even if we don't, you know, have a walk in the woods readily available? Right. And I think that's a a danger or risk of right. uh, the way I write is it would be very easy for a reader to associate that with my experience of the world because I right. live in a fairly rural setting, um, grew up in countryside. And so it would be very easy to categorize that as um, what you need to understand creation or to right. read Revelation is you need to move to the country. Yep. Um, and, and I want to clarify that <laughs> immediately, yeah. that that's not the case, because what we're talking about is a disposition. Right. Um, I gained it through life in the country, but it goes with me everywhere I go. Mm-hmm. It's a disposition toward um, the natural world around me. Mm-hmm. So if I'm in a city, I'm still in the middle of nature. I mean, right. there's still breezes, there's still weather, there's still trees, there's still bugs, there's still insects, there's still birds. My own body is a case for natural revelation. So um, I think the the risk that we do um, face is kind of relegating this conversation to place or um, a location when it's more about a disposition. Mm. What do you think some of the the lessons that nature has to teach us towards this disposition you're talking about? Might it be like a certain sort of paying attention or this idea that we are creatures, not creator, right? That we're subject to the forces of nature. If you were to name them in more of a didactic way right now versus, you know, more of a liturgical habit forming way that you do in your book, what might be some of those ways of seeing if you were to break those, that idea well, down? I think- One of the most basic things that I hope readers pick up on, even though I'm not saying it explicitly, is that there are deep um, truths that run through the warp and weave of creation. Mm -hmm. And whether we see it in the scripture or we see it illustrated in the natural world, it is the same truth. Mm -hmm. And it's the same fundamental paradigm because it's coming from the same source. Yes. So the God who wrote the scripture is the God who created the world. And so if we see certain categories, um, certain phenomenon being um, presented in both places, there's a truth of that that is more expansive and more transcendent mm-hmm. than just here's the theology I learned in my Bible. And so yes, here here's the category for life and resurrection as you see it within the scripture. But mm-hmm. here in nature, here's the category of life and resurrection where mm-hmm. a seed falls into the ground and dies and mm-hmm. brings forth much yeah. fruit. Mm-hmm. So one thing I think um that you know just didactically speaking is to understand that reality Mm -hmm. is not this 
um, set of the esoteric against the material world, right? right. It's, not, it, it's not in conflict with itself, that, that God as creator, God as the writer of scripture um, is a coherent, um, consistent God. And I think that really helps us when we encounter things in the scripture that maybe we don't understand. Mm-hmm. Or even things in nature we don't understand because we'll always have the other thing to help us mm-hmm, make mm-hmm. sense of it. Why do you think with the pandemic and political unrest and racial violence, I mean, 2020 and now 2021 has, you know, been quite upsetting, <laughs> to, you know, to put it mildly. But, um, you know, why do you think this idea of natural revelation can help us maybe in this moment that we find ourselves in? I think it, it's done a couple things for me. Um, one of the things it's done is it has kind of put me in my place in a way that's healthy and helpful. Right. So, um, you know, just the largeness of recognizing that you are part of something. You are not over the creation as a human being. Mm-hmm. You are integrated and part of it. And there's a lot of things outside of your ability to control, you know, viruses, right? uh, for example. (laughs) Right. So so there's a humbling aspect that Mm -hmm. I think is really important to our self-identity, which is, um, I I like, I know this maybe sounds silly and I'm not sure if it's entirely theologically accurate. You can decide, we'll let (laughs) listeners decide. But but I, I tend to think of, of my integration into the creation as being inside like a snow globe, mm-hmm. right? I'm, I'm inside it. I'm not God outside of it. Right. You know, that, that idea of transcendent that that's left to deity. That's left to the divine. I'm not above and over the creation. Right. I'm integrated into it to, to steward and to relate to, and to represent God here as mm-hmm. a divine image bearer. Um, but I'm not over it. Right. And I think that's an important distinction. So right. that was helpful to me in terms of the pandemic. It was just about the limits of my control. <laughs> yeah. um, I think too, in terms of where we find ourselves nationally and politically, um, nature is a common tongue. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have so little in common right now. Yeah. We have so little that is shared or that we can agree upon. And even though something like science even (laughs) can be debated, at the end of the day, I hope we can all look to the sky and say the sky is blue. Mm -hmm. You know, I hope there's at least some base level where the we can hit. um, We're not falling anymore. We're not free falling anymore, where we can at least agree upon certain natural phenomenon. And I think that's so important right now because we don't have a lot in common. And if this can be a baseline for us as communities and families, um, I think that's very important. Yeah. I think, I think you're right there that it can be at least a, an entrance into harder, more difficult, more nuanced conversations, right? Across difference is, you know, if we have some common grounds of common experience. Yeah, and and I don't even think it's what we typically, um, how we would typically engage creation as an apologetic. That's not what I'm um, arguing for. And I know that's been 
very common within evangelical apologetics of late is, well, uh, let me prove to you that there's a creator, therefore you'll know that he's your Lord and you have to submit to him. That's, that's not what I mean by any um, means. I mean, that's, that's true, but what I'm talking about is a shared source of knowledge. Yeah. Um, Whereas uh, Many in our society at large are not going to see the scripture as authoritative. It's right. not going to see that as a shared source of revelation. Um, but we might be able to see the natural world mm-hmm. as a shared source of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, as something that, you know, has has like a transcendent aspect, you know, to it. Something that that is... It has truth embedded yeah. into its... Fab to the, into its reality, right? Um, so we can argue for death and resurrection, right, from the natural world. Yeah, um, th- that's it's the language. Lang- yeah, it's like a, it's a language that, regardless of where we are on the spectrum of belief, that we can still talk to one another. Exactly. how do you kind of position yourself in, you know, some of these quasi spiritual conversations, right? About like nature and grounding and, you know. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group? teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. How do we deal with some of that language? Because I do think nature is grounding. You know, you you are glued to the TV with news and all of that, and you can put away your phone and you can actually participate in something that is bigger than yourself, even just by going out on a walk. But I think, you know, that there is a danger of using nature in place of the transcendent. So how do we kind of maintain a balance between appreciating it, learning from it, realizing we're part of nature and not having that become kind of a new sanctuary, a new church, you know, for us? Well, I think that one of the key things that I'm learning, and I I kind of suggest just in the book, but I don't think I come right out and say it explicitly, is that um, natural revelation, creation, nature um, is designed to do one thing and specific revelation is designed to do something else. Mm-hmm. And so they're not replaceable. Mm-hmm. You, you can't just um, say, well, I'm, I'm discovering God in the scripture, therefore I don't need him in in nature. And you can not say I'm discovering God in nature and therefore I don't need the scripture. So I think the important thing, it's something to akin to, you know, Augustine's love things the right way. Right. right? So we have to ask the question, what is 
the meaning and significance and purpose of the creation? What is it designed to do? And not ask it to do more mm-hmm. than it's designed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I would challenge, I think, for readers or listeners who are more inclined um, perhaps to encounter God through um you know, reading the scripture through their intellectual pursuits, through that kind of rational knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, I would challenge to say that's not the sum totality of who who God has created to you to be as a person. Mm-hmm. So that may have its limits as well. Mm-hmm. Um, can you understand the significance of what you're reading if you haven't also learned how to read what God has written into the fabric of, of his creation. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm not sure that, I guess for me, I don't go to creation or the natural world asking it to do. To be divine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. I go to it and I ask it to tell me something. Mm -hmm. And the messages it communicates are grounding they are stabilizing in a way. Mm-hmm. They also can be terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Like nature is not tame and we often are very sentimental about it. Yeah. And the reality is that creation would kill you given the chance. Right. And <laughs> at that point, I think that disabuses us a little bit of our kind yeah. of mystical sense of you know, I'm just going to be out in creation and be at one with the world. Right. The world is not at one with you. <laughs> Any of those like National Geographic documentaries, you know, you see this, the prey, you know, predators or even like the History Channel. I, I'm all for that. I'm all for getting out and having yeah. a hike and yeah. enjoying, um, you know, nature in doses <laughs> that we can control. Right. But if we're really honest about it and we look it in the face, um, it's not friendly. Right. And and I think we need to disabuse ourselves of that as well. Yeah. What was the experience, you know, after having written the book, what was kind of your own personal journey? Did you feel like you were kind of this older grandmotherly sort of type where you're kind of dispensing wisdom for people who don't have, you know, have this kind of land knowledge? Or did you feel yourself being changed as well in your own observations of nature and in your pairing of scripture with those kind of natural elements that you talk about? Well, I definitely felt I was changed. Mm -hmm. I also had this deep sense that I was only scratching the surface. Mm -hmm. And as I concluded the manuscript, I was like, I could do this five more times. Mm -hmm. And not lose any interest in what I'm doing, not even get to the depth of what's there. Um, Particularly, I I found it amazing how observing the natural world opened up passages of scripture for me. Mm. So I would, in in my process of writing, I would maybe have a, a glimmer of a passage of scripture I wanted to understand better, or maybe a phenomenon that I, I didn't quite understand. And, and I would spend a lot of time researching the scientific data behind the phenomenon. I would just mm-hmm. sit and read and read and be out and learn. 
and observe it in nature and come back in and Mm -hmm. research. And that process of learning the science and then taking it back to what a passage I thought I already understood and that passage suddenly coming alive in ways that it never would have if I hadn't Mm -hmm. done the scientific research, which was Mm -hmm. just astounding for Mm -hmm. me. And I, my brain was just like, there are so many things I don't understand. Mm -hmm. There there are so many um, rabbit trails to chase. (laughs) I could do this for years. That was really my, my, my instinct coming away from finishing up. I didn't feel like it was in any way finished. I felt like, wow, we need to stop. (laughs) (laughs) This is the package. This is the, this is the book. But um, mm. this is just the beginning of a way of seeing and perceiving. I love what you're talking about, just the way that we learn things. You know, it is liturgical what you're saying. You know, that there's this body of knowledge that you're studying, that you know, that you're learning, and then you go out and experience it. You try it out. You come back to scripture. You integrate that. There is this sense in which it becomes kind of a pattern and a way of seeing and being and doing and knowing kind of all together that feels really holistic. I wonder if there are, you know, things in the church, like in some ways it strikes me as a model of discipleship, because I think most of our models of discipleship in the church tend to be kind of knowledge acquisition. Many of our denominations tend to focus on intellectual knowledge and theology, Mm -hmm. which isn't bad, of course, but we have kind of a lopsided view of our experience of God (laughs) and other people and the mission in the world, right? If it's simply what we know or what we acquire in our brains, I wonder if there is a way to do something like that uh, in wider, in other spheres even. And you're so right about how we, you know, when we're in evangelical spaces, particularly we are very intellectual or very rational, um, you know, maybe we're emotional, maybe we're trying to get to a person's heart. Mm-hmm. Um, in best case scenarios, we'll have liturgy that engages the whole body. Yeah. But more often than not, we're inside. Right. Yeah, right. I mean, like, and, and that's not a problem. I, I just wonder if there's an assumption perhaps um, being made about people's understanding of the God of creation and how to Mm -hmm. relate to him. And perhaps in previous periods in history, that was an assumption you could make. Right. Perhaps when people lived um, more directly with land or they were working in agrarian kind of context, you didn't have to go out of your way to supplement this for them. Right. You didn't have to explain how a seed falls into the ground and dies because that was taken for granted. And so I do think there is a bit of responsibility here because of modernity. And and I'm not saying these are bad things, you know, but but I'm not trying to go Wendell Berry here. But I do think, and when we're speaking about spiritual formation in particular, that we have to understand the gap. Mm -hmm. Um, and if there are ways we can fill it, we have to understand that it's necessary to fill it. Mm-hmm. It's not something that we can just ignore and say, well, that's so sad. So like in my mind, I'd love to see churches like 
we should have Sunday school classes about the connections between what's happening in scripture and what's happening in the natural world. Mm-hmm. Um, the conversation sh- around creation shouldn't be dominated solely by apologetics or creation care. Yeah. And I think that's been almost the extent to which evangelicals yeah. have engaged with um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the natural world. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Right. So I'm like, we should have hikes. We should have yeah. like, church hikes. Yeah. <laughs> we should right. have people in our congregations who are scientists or know these things can lead the rest of us into awe and exploration of what God is doing in creation. And that, you know, as, as much as we take kids, you know, youth group to um, what an amusement park, right? <laughs> taking our people out into creation. Mm-hmm. I lo- I love churches that have gardens. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of times the only way you get to have them is if you have like a biblical garden. Right. <laughs> or like, it's just, you know, you're, you're feeding the homeless through your, right. garden, which is, which is great. But there are other ways, you know, of entering God's kingdom than simply not only like we've been talking about with knowledge acquisition, but like, you know, as our issues of benevolence or. Right. Um, no, I understand exactly what you're saying. I mean, yeah. we're learning this in the realm of arts. Right. right? Yep. We're learning that churches need to extend patronage or we need to support the artists in our midst. And I'm, right. I'm just saying, yes. Yep. And yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for giving us so much to think about, about how do we learn new ways of seeing, being, doing, broadening our sense of who God is or deepening it, perhaps. Your book is definitely, it's a beautiful meditation on seasons and it just gives us a lot to think about. It's a great companion. So thank you. And your husband illustrated it too, which is such a treat. But before we finish up, I'd love to ask you what your laundry routine is because I love asking all my guests. It's always, it's just fun. Like, here's all the ideas you're thinking about, but tell us, you know, what is your actual week look like? Well, I don't have much of a routine for laundry, sadly. This is the laundry routine. Oh no, we don't have XYZ clothes. Somebody go do the laundry. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> but and so are all of your children proficient? But everybody's at involved. Yeah. It's everybody knows how to throw a load in. Everybody knows when it's time. We'll have big laundry folding parties. Yeah you know, we'll kind of, my husband's very, very good at keeping up with things. And it's not an aversion to laundry. I just want to say this. It, it's not that I am resisting housework or laundry. I just can never remember. There's just like too many steps, right? Like you have to put the clothes in and you have to remember to take them out and put them in the dryer and take them out and fold them again. Right. So that's, I have very, very poor executive function. I do too. <laughs> Laundry's is <laughs> bridge too far. Yes. Yes. I understand. My husband does ours because I do not fold properly. So, you know, we all have our gifts. Well, thank you, Hannah. It's been such a, a great time to chat with you, friends. I hope that you will pick up her book, The Turning of Days. It's out February 2nd. Thanks. Friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Hannah Anderson. I recommend all of her books. Follow her on Twitter. She is a great thinker. And you'll want to go click on over to the show notes and order a copy of Turning of Days for you or for a friend. And as we think about being in Eastertide now, 
and the way in which all of creation is pointing us to death and the reality of resurrection through the seasons, I hope that you'll begin to connect some of these big ideas and pair them with practices in your everyday holy life. And so I want to leave you with a very small step this week. As you think about nature, as you think about your experience of nature and your experience of God, I want to encourage you to just get outside. Five days a week, get outside, even if it's for a few minutes. And even better, bring someone with you. Because I think sometimes we think of our experience, whether it's of nature or experience of spirituality, and having it be this individualized emotional experience. But it's not always that. But it is formative and it is communal. So bring someone with you, go out in nature, and ask what are the lessons that this experience has to teach me about God, about myself, about my place. And don't forget, friends, it doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be a big old hike. It doesn't have to be at you know this mountain vista or in front of the ocean. Simply get outside, take a walk in your actual neighborhood, look at the plants on your own front porch, pay attention to the lessons and start asking for eyes to see. I'd love to hear how it's going. You can always tag me on Twitter or Instagram at AAHales with the hashtag Finding Holy Podcast and we can begin a conversation about what we are learning here as we begin to connect the dots between things that matter and our everyday holy lives. Friends, I'd also love to encourage you to just take a quick moment and leave a review or a rating on iTunes for the Finding Holy podcast. It's what helps keep the great conversations going. So thank you. Remember, friends, big things matter, but so does the laundry. This episode was brought to you in part by the Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.